We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, the Yin's No Ball podcast, they tried to stop us after last week. They tried to put us down. They said, why are you hating on our new offensive coordinator? But we're instead, we're back and we're better than ever. And we're stronger than ever. We've been sharpened. We've been we've been refined by fire now. And uh, I just got finished recording a podcast on my other feed, the Audibles and Analytics podcast with Ollie Connolly. And uh, he had some very not so nice things to say about Arthur Smith. So if anybody wants to be more depressed about that hire, you can go over and listen to Ollie Connolly. Very neutral, very very neutral person, uh, very neutral perspective on this. And I had no idea what he was going to say before I asked him. I didn't know how he felt about it. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he had, he had a lot of good things to say about Arthur Smith. So go check out that podcast, audibles and analytics. You can find that in my Twitter bio or just search it. Uh, and you'll find the Substack for it, but that one's going to go up here soon. So by probably by the time you hear this, that one will be up. Um, in the meantime, Brad, we have to discuss the current Steelers team and what the future of the Steelers team could look like at a new position today. We have done cornerback safety and wide receiver three specifically looking at that number three spot and talked a little bit about what it would look like to develop, to draft a wide receiver high this year and be a surprise pick with the hopes of like, with the thought that either he'll play with Pickens and Johnson or Johnson's not long for this roster or Pickens isn't long for that roster. One of those myriad of options, which I think is a legitimate possibility, but we're too early in the off season to dive into that too much quarterback position. This off season for the Pittsburgh Steelers is one that we've, we've decided to kick the week off with because Kenny Pickett's going to be here, but he was just benched. Mason Rudolph's a free agent, but he just started a playoff game. Do you re-sign him? Does Kenny actually start? Do you have those two compete? Do you bring somebody else in? Do you trade for Justin Fields? Do you bring in Ryan Tannehill? What the heck is going on at quarterback this offseason for the Pittsburgh Steelers? I do like the Arthur Smith hire more than Cliff Kingsbury and Luke Getze. So they didn't even have a bottom two <laughs> offensive coordinator hire. Um, so, that, you know, tip of the cap the bar. there. Yeah, the bar's low, but um, but yeah, so the Fields note is interesting. We've probably talked about Justin Fields before. I think there was always all this smoke of Fields to Atlanta. I do think a large part of that was, A, they needed a quarterback, obviously. B, they were picking eighth, so like maybe outside of range for those top three guys. And C, Fields is from the, the, you know, the Atlanta area in Georgia, so it made sense. And people thought of, oh, the athleticism, the run game that they could have with Arthur Smith and Justin Fields. I've heard that when the Falcons were picking fourth overall in that Fields draft class, and it went three straight QBs and then Kyle Pitts at four, that Arthur Smith was one of the voices that was not a fan of Justin Fields. So, look, 
it is, you know, things can change and he can maybe be more desperate for a quarterback. When, when that decision happened, they probably thought maybe 2022 class will give us a better option. It did not, um, you know, or, or, or something. So maybe that has changed, but that is the common perception that he was not the biggest fan of Justin Fields. So maybe that, you know, kind of makes that a little more difficult in Pittsburgh, but yeah, Ryan Tannehill is, I think is a very legit bridge type of option. And then we'll get into the rookies that are not Caleb Williams, Drake, man, Jane Daniels. Those guys are going top 10. I, I I can say that fairly confidently. You never know, but I'd be shocked if they don't all go top 10. And then I think there's still plenty of, you know, guys that are going to go top hundred, top 75, you know, JJ McCarthy out of Michigan, uh, Spencer Rattler out of South Carolina is kind of moving up right these, these days. Bonix at Oregon, Michael Penix at Washington, my guy, Michael Pratt from Tulane, who I really am genuinely a fan of. There are a lot of potential picks um, in the first, second, third round that would provide a legitimate competition to Kenny Pickett, you know, uh, come come the offseason. Yeah, so we will get into some of those uh, draft picks potential and whether this team could be a surprise, you know, take a team in the first or take a quarterback in the first round type of team. I don't think many people are thinking that for Pittsburgh. And I don't think that's the direction they'll go at number 20 overall, uh, but could be under consideration. You never know. I think the free agent options deserve a little bit of our attention here, too. This is what a weird free agent class for quarterback because Kirk Cousins was having a great year and then he tears his Achilles. And it's like, okay, now he's going to be, what, 36 years old this season, I think. He was good. Do, does he even want to go to another system? Like, what is the read on Kirk Cousins out there right now? Because it feels like it just makes more sense for him to go back to the devil he knows of system he's worked in. What's the alternative for Minnesota? They start over. Like, they don't have a plan B either. So I, I wonder, I don't know, what do you think is the most plausible outcome there? Yeah, so I think Minnesota's a bit split. I think Kevin O'Connell would like to have Kirk Cousins back with with the Vikings. Um, I do think at 11, they are one of the teams we should keep an eye on for either a trade-up or maybe a J.J. McCarthy-type player falls to them at 11. It'd be early, in my opinion, probably a lot of people's opinions, but, you know, it's a true junior, um, a a draft-and-develop-type player. I think he does have, you know, good arm talent. He is a good athlete, like, Kevin O'Connell, I think the one reason he would ever depart from Kirk Cousins if, is if he gets a guy that is mobile and can add that element to his offense. He's talked about it before. So, like, that is interesting to me. However, I, I, I get the sense the front office probably wants to pivot, kind of get a clean break because of the injury, all those things. They're about to make Justin Jefferson the highest-paid wide receiver in the NFL. they got to figure out Daniel Hunter. They need to add a ton of talent to the whole defense. So, I think Atlanta – is still going to make a big time push for Kirk Cousins. And that's kind of going around the Super Bowl a little bit. Nothing, you know, like confirmed or anything like very high level, but we probably talked about it. Not only, you know, it's the same tree, you know, Zach Robinson, you know, from the Rams now going over there. Um, Raheem Morris probably actually crossed paths with Kirk Cousins. Now that I think about it, Raheem Morris is the new head coach. He probably did coach on a Washington Redskins team that had Kirk Cousins on it. So there's a connection there. Um, But lastly, like, we may have, I think you mentioned it, like his wife is from the, the Atlanta area. They had their wedding in the Atlanta area. And I think if you were going to pivot uh, away from Minnesota, good weapons, very good offensive line. Defense played much better football last year. Um, you know, you're in a dome still, which probably, you know, does matter to Kirk Cousins at this point. Um, and an offensive system that you're comfortable with, familiar with. Kevin O'Connell, of course, also came from L.A. So I think it's probably Falcons or Minnesota. Pittsburgh might be an option. I just, I, I think you'd probably agree. I don't think yeah. they'd make that splash. It, it's going to cost you good. If he goes to free agency, someone's going to give him, you know, I, right now my projection is two years 60. That is a Minnesota Vikings contract. If he, if it comes out, Minnesota's going to look, look to go a different direction. I'm going to change that to, 
280. Like it's going to go up because someone will bid that number up. Hmm. Yeah. Two, two years isn't a big commitment either. So you can bump the number up because it's not like you're tied to it forever. Like, okay, you give two seasons. If he's not as good next season, you hope he's better the season after that. If not, you're probably drafting somebody anyway. So it's, doesn't really kill you in terms of like your long-term out prospects as a, as an organization, if he's only looking for two years, so that could bump the number up. Yeah, I I agree with you. I don't want to spend a ton of time on Cousins unless we start hearing some connection within the Pittsburgh. It does not seem likely uh, that he would be in Pittsburgh. Another guy that seems more likely, by the way, Baker Mayfield. Uh, it it the Bucks just made an offensive coordinator hire in which they inquired Baker's opinion about before they made it and picked a guy who will run a very similar uh, system and spend some time with him at the Rams and has a relationship with him. It's he's going back to Tampa. Um, so. That leaves of your top quarterbacks, Ryan Tannehill is the only other top 90 quarterback that's a free agent right now on the board. You have him projected, and this is Tannehill, 36 years old. He'll be this season. Um, you have him projected two years, five and a half million per year. It feels like a long time ago we were entering a season like Tannehill was like the entering this past season was like he's a starter. Like, could they be a player? Some people I know some people I don't I disagree with this, but some people picked them to win the division last year. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And I didn't think that was gonna happen. But Tannehill's star has really fallen quickly. And a lot of it's because of injury and the fact that he had absolutely no protection at all um during his time, his end of his time there in t- in Tennessee. I actually kind of wouldn't hate the Tannehill role that die. Like, given the fact that this organization has committed itself to mediocrity, like unequivocally considered it's com- committed itself to a ceiling of mediocrity. If that's your ceiling, like I would way rather have Tannehill than Mason Rudolph. You know, if you're talking about you're signing one of those two, and if you're right, Tannehill only being two years, five and a half million per year. Yeah, I'll take that. Whatever. Like at this point, what's the better option for Pittsburgh? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So that's the Andy Dalton contract from last year. It does fall off a cliff, and, and Dalton did sign... You know, one year is three million in Dallas. Then you got one year ten from Chicago, uh, and then you know, Saints deal was between those two, but one year six or something like that. Um, could be wrong there, but it was not a lot. And I think honestly, underrated, they had a good year with the Saints last year. Like he really was like playing good ball. And yeah. still, at this point, similar age, thirty five, thirty six, just was viewed as like you're a bridge. You might start, but most likely you're a veteran mentor to a young quarterback. Tail could get more potentially. The big last piece for me is the, the musical chairs of just it sounds crazy to say in this league, but there are more. I think there's more supply of quarterbacks than there is demand at this point. I really feel that way because top three picks probably all take them and then knocks off three teams right away. And we know in today's NFL, you start a top three pick quarterback um, or if you don't, you're bringing in, you know, kind of a lower end bridge like a Tannehill for um, or so, you know. Right, percent exactly, exactly. Gardner Minshew, etc. Um, and, and then you kind of look at the rest like, yeah, Pittsburgh is one. But I would think that'd be more of a, hey, come play with Arthur. You guys made magic together. It's not going to be a huge deal, but you'll have the inside track on a competition. It will be a competition, but kind of like Baker versus Kyle Trask last year. It's not really a competition, um, and, and you're probably going to get the job. So could be low, but it's just that, that's more of just, you know, there's only 32 of these jobs, uh, and, and I just don't see a lot of other obvious answers there. And it feels like a type of quarterback where – Tomlin will be appeased as well. Like as veteran experience works in the system as enough athleticism that you can convince yourself, like the, like a lot of the guys at Trubisky uh, pick it. It's like he Tomlin's trying to convince himself. Oh, athleticism really matters to quarterback. He said one time he watched Lamar and he's some of these other guys. And he was like, that's one thing I've really changed for me is how much athleticism matters to quarterback. And then he's kind of like taking the guys that are on like the bare minimum of that, like spectrum. Like, it's like, okay, they're not, Mason Rudolph, who you dropped, yeah, yeah. You know, like I don't know if Trubisky or Pickett or these guys are really moving the needle. Tannehill's kind of like that. I mean, he's older now, so it's probably even more Rudolph-like, I guess. But Rudolph like, literally doesn't move in the pocket. Like the guy's unbelievable. He literally gets there <laughs> and he's nailed to the ground. And like if the pocket gets pushed in him, like he's nailed to the ground. Like he's not going anywhere. So Tannehill would be less of that, I think, and a little bit more toward the type of quarterback Tomlin would like to play with. Um, and I think that was honestly a big reason why Rudolph was QB three was he just didn't feel like he offered anything, uh, that element of it. And so Tana would give you a little bit of that, uh, but not a lot at this point, uh, obviously is a formerly a very good athlete. I don't know if he's, that's still the same uh, level of athlete. Uh, the other thing that I have totally just forgotten Tannehill's injury. What the heck was it? He came back last season, but he didn't play, right? I don't think he played. It was Levis all the way. And, but he was, so I think it was, He's definitely healthy. I think it was an ankle, and I think he probably could have played, but they obviously at that point, bad record. They kind of pivoted to Will Levis. Um, I'm sure part of that, frankly, was a disagreement between Mike Vrabel and the front office that wanted to get their guys starting to play. But, yeah, no, I think he was healthy as of, like, week eight, week nine. Probably got hurt week four, week five, and they just were like, you know what, Let's just we're just going to go up the young guys. Right. So, yeah, as of today, I think he's probably 100% healthy. So it's interesting also that Tannehill's play is always – coincided with his offensive line pretty heavily. And it's not because of a lack of athleticism, it's because of preference and style of play and especially play action wise. 
it honestly kind of reminds me of golf early on in his career where Tannehill, it started later, but golf early on where he was like all this boon off the play action. And then he struggled deciphering pressures. And when they were coming pre-snap, turned his back to the defense, pressure was there. He fell apart. Then in Detroit, he figured it out. I don't know if Tannehill has that other like, oh, next stop, I figure it out type of thing when that initial system breaks down. But I do think you saw a little bit of that with him this season where it was like, okay, like now you're seeing like what it looks like the decline when everything else around you falls apart, he can't be good anymore. But if everything else around him was better, I think he still could be a decent starter. I agree. And Pittsburgh's fans might be listening to me like, yeah, our line's not great. Titans had the worst offensive line in the NFL. Like I'm not even sure it's debatable. Um, it was an unplayable unit. So I actually still think when I watched some of his film from the first month before, you know, for the free agency stuff, he still can move. You can still do the boot rollouts and, and he can do his left and do his right. Uh, his pocket manipulation, I think, has always gotten better over the course of his career. Probably one of the things that Arthur Smith, I think, really helped was just like not bailing and just stepping up or or sidestepping and, and just kind of navigating pressure. But yeah, last year was just simply untenable. So yeah, are you going to design run him? No. Or are you going to you know, try to get him out in space to, you know, do some half field reads and, and high low concepts and, and stuff like that. Yes. And I think he still can do that to, to a, like you said, not a high level, but still, you know, a, a decent level. And that's the thing people have to understand when we make the case for Tannehill, we're not making the case that, oh, Tannehill can be this great panacea at quarterback for the Steelers. No, it's just this organization has decided what they are committed to. They're committed to being a mediocre team at best. So if, as long as that is the case, we have to evaluate them through that prism. And like as analysts, that's what we have to do. And so we have to see it the way they're seeing it, which is that this type of move is the one that gives them closest to the goal that they have. And that's why I think it makes a lot of sense, not for what I would aspire to as a goals for my organization, but for what they've set as their goals as an organization, this is the most logical type of move. Because even if you look at the other options, you know, Mint Gardner Minshew, Jacoby Brissett, James Winston, these guys are like, good to solid backups. Like, whereas Tannehill might still be a starter. Like we, we really don't know. Like the situation in Tennessee got so bad and then the injury. And that was just like, okay, we're not totally sure. 36, it was over some positions for a quarterback. He might not be that old. He doesn't have this incredible, this crazy injury history or anything like that. So uh, I kind of think there could be something there with Tannehill, you know, AFC North is a very tough division. I don't know that you're going to outside of another, you know, whatever happened to the Bengals this year, like that kind of an injury situation, the Steelers are probably going to be, the fourth most talented team. Now Watson could keep falling apart in Cleveland and derail that, and they could end up finishing third again or something like that. So there's, I was like, there's no pathway, but Tannehill just gives you the best pathway to being like two or three C in the in the uh, within the division, like it, where the two or three second to third place team in the division, which maybe gets your shot at the playoffs again, and that's what the goal of this organization seems to be. So, and he also. You can bring Tannehill in at this point in his career, pay him this kind of contract, and then say it's a starting job competition between he and Kenny Pickett. Sort of what the Bucs did with Baker Mayfield last year. Yep. Bring him in, load of salary, Cal Trask. It's a little bit different because Baker had actually, like, maybe his, his star had probably been a little lower than Tannehill's for a while, that Panthers year, and then it was a little rough there. But um, but still, everybody without Baker is going to start. And Tannehill, everybody will think and he should start. And it's like, okay, if Kenny surprises, great. If not, oh, we have a guy here that was probably the favorite. But it was actually a competition, whereas like Kirk Cousins, you couldn't do that with. So I think it just makes a lot of sense on paper, obviously, the fit in the system and, you know, all those kinds of things. So, uh, and it yeah. gives you, yeah. you pick it has to compete, right, to, to get his job. And that part is one of the very few parts of all this madness that I actually understand uh, is that Kenny Pickett, having him compete for his starting job, 
with not Mitchell Trubisky, you know, is is going to be helpful for him, I think. If anything will be helpful for him, that will be. And then the last note, just because you mentioned Mitchell, so, like, I don't put incentives on the, the projections, but, like, the Tannehill one would look like Trubisky's, where you know, the initial deal was, like, two years, 25, maybe less than that, two years, I don't know, 20, whatever, but there was, like, he was making, like, 300, 400 grand per start. So, like, there's going to be upside for sure. Um now that's going to prevent them from starting Ryan Tannehill. They'll do it if he's the better player. But yeah, Baker was one year out four million, but he ended up making like ten, um, you know, because of playoffs and, and statistical stuff. So yeah, I think that's the way you go about it. And, and frankly, I don't hate. I was telling you before the show, I walked past Cam Hayward a couple minutes ago. I'm in Vegas for the Super Bowl. Um, like if they want to, just again, like I know it is chasing mediocrity, but just keep being a playoff team. Everyone's bought in because they know they are going to win. They're going to go five hundred probably at worst. Um. And, you know, sell themselves on, look, a veteran like Tannehill could help Kenny, uh, George Pickens' career come along. There, there were years where he absolutely fed A.J. Brown and threw it to him every time he dropped back. So there are elements of it. He can help establish the offensive line in the run game and, and call out protections and, you know, set the running backs up well because his threat as a runner to a degree can maybe help clear some lanes for the guys. So, like, there's that. And then we'll get into – I guess it would be Kenny. They probably wouldn't do Tannehill and a rookie because then, I mean, what, Kenny's your QB3 or the rookie's a QB3 and, you know, teams aren't carrying three quarterbacks anymore. But so I guess in that scenario, it'd be Kenny in a, you know, second, third round pick, uh, yeah. which would be a whole different level of fascinating than, than the veteran bridge route. Yeah. I mean, you could do a bunch of different things here, but it, if you made two moves, it would really, two real moves, it would really make you seem like your, you know, Kenny Pickett's days are, are truly numbered in Pittsburgh. And then you have nothing trade-wise either. So I think pick will be the number two. Number three, I think, will be uh, some sort of afterthought type quarterback would be my guess uh, if I had to venture, I guess. Um, yeah, there's nobody else really in free agency that fascinates me. What about trades? Anything there? I mean, we talked about fields. I don't think we need to go down that path. Anything with trades like right now that you're thinking's out there on a quarterback that could get moved? It feels like we've had a lot of those in recent years where there's been something exciting like a Rodgers or Brady or well, Brady wasn't a trade, but Rodgers or Stafford or something like that. And this year it doesn't really feel like that kind of moves out there. A real needle movers out there. I don't think so. No. I mean, it's like Mac Jones. If you want to bring in Mac Jones, uh, no, to the Steelers, no, like... just, just think of the starters. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't think any starters all develop, you know, like yeah. Zach Wilson, Mac Jones type of guys that are not going to move the needle at all. Yeah, yeah. What happens with Daniel Jones this offseason? I think New York is going to bring in like a brissette level guy. Mm-hmm. Same thing, high incentives. If he plays, he makes a bunch of money. You know, we'll. See. I think Daniel Jones will be healthy by week one, but potentially get hurt again. The offensive line was also a disaster last year. They can't move on this offseason, but if he's bad again, they'll be out of that deal before twenty twenty five. Yeah, I mean, I think Daniel Jones has been better than Kenny Pickett, but. Last year was bad. And I know it didn't last long and he wasn't healthy. And the team was a trainer. Even no wide receivers. I mean, the wide receivers Daniel Jones has thrown into his career are hilarious. Like it's insane. It's completely crazy. Like how they thought that was a real I never see a team fall in love more with their I mean, they just they overachieved and then they just thought they were there. Darren Waller was the piece, put him over the top. No, it's just yeah. bad assessment. I still think the organization's in good hands, but they just kind of they they missed on it this year for sure. Um, okay. Uh, then I guess we jump to the draft right here. And, yeah, let's do it. Um, I think we, we, you mentioned this at the outset, I think when you were talking, but Caleb Williams, Drake may, and even Jaden Daniels from where you're here. And it just doesn't feel like those guys are going to be tenable for Pittsburgh. Now jumping up. Could that be a possibility for Pittsburgh? They don't really do it when they do. They only do it for 
bad off ball linebackers. It feels like <laughs> I'm sorry. I had, to I had to do it. I'm sorry, Devin. Yeah, do it. Yeah, that sorry. was 20, 20 to ten, right for Devin Bush. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that's going to happen with Omar on. Anyway, it doesn't feel like that's going to be the move for this team, especially because they're at 20. And to get Jaden Daniels, you may have to jump up to five. I mean, you may have to jump up that far. And I know that that seems crazy, but I've watched Jaden Daniels some now. I kind of get it. He he is. How big is Jaden Daniels? Like, I know he's, he's taller. Skinny. Yeah, he's probably Man, six, two he and skinny like and 175. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. he looks like Teddy Bridgewater physically, like his frame itself, like it's just very College. narrow, like Bridges yeah. Bridgewater's was. Like yeah. he had that Bridgewater had that wiry, narrow shoulders. Like he doesn't have brought, you know, his frame just looks and I've never seen I mean, I know people joked about this all college season. It's so true when you watch his tape too. He just gets beat the heck every single game. And yes. it's really remarkable to watch because I'm like, okay, how's this guy? But he, and he keeps coming back, you know, like I, I give him credit because he survived it, but it's sore. It's a different beast in the NFL. So I'm worried about him physically a little bit. I also think that there's a lot of his game like that still needs to develop, but it seems like teams are really kind of in on him. And I don't think he's going to be able to be there for Pittsburgh. Yeah. I always say this. I, I think one of the most underappreciated things about Lamar Jackson at Louisville an early early NFL career, I know he's been hurt the last couple of years, but it's not really from him scrambling, is that he doesn't take a lot of shots. Sure, there's a couple that have happened in his NFL career because it's going to happen, but he slides or he gets out of bounds and, and gives up a couple of yards. Jane Daniels was like helicopter jumping into piles between the 20s. Like in the middle of the field, he was like diving for an extra yard. And again, like teams probably love that to a degree, uh, you know, because it shows he wants to win and whatever. But it's like, no, you're going to get, like you said, at the NFL level, you dive into a pile at the 40-yard line, you're going to miss a month. So I'm with you there. I also just like, as I continue to watch, um, not a lot of work with middle of the field, which, you know, Arthur Smith probably wants to bring to the table. Um, we actually were watching film of him literally, literally an hour ago, um, misdiagnosing cover two and, and throwing right into like zone. A linebacker was literally sitting there on, on, on a, a curl and he just, just didn't see it. So, I mean, again, that happens to all guys. He's super talented. Throwing outside the numbers, he has a good arm. Not a great arm, but a good arm. He is a good athlete. He definitely can bail and, and run, you know, for miles and miles. I mean, his, his stats this past season were insane um, in the SEC. Uh, so there's nothing knocking that at all. But I'm with you. Or I I think he is going to go, like, I think top five, not top ten. And this is the last piece for me is when you talk about if Pittsburgh wants to move up, the issue that I see is, okay, so four, five, six is Arizona, Chargers, Giants. And – even Tennessee's at seven, but we'll see. Maybe Levis isn't that entrenched. But anyway, four, five, six, you then have Atlanta at eight. You have Minnesota at 11. You have Denver at 12, Las Vegas at 13. Those yeah. teams are going to are gonna offer a better offer to come up. And those teams sitting at four, five, six will say, okay, we can still get a really good tackle or Brock Bowers or whoever in the 11 to 15 range. You get to 20. And I, I don't know, my opinion, I know you said you're higher on the edge rushers in this class than others, but like, I just, I think it, there's a bit of a plateau after the teens to where it kind of gets into like good football players, but I just, you know, I think it drops off a bit. So I th I see that as a roadblock as well, where those teams like, yeah, we'll, we'll go to 11. We're not going to go to 20. Yeah, higher on this edge class than last year's anyway. I mean, I, Anderson was awesome last year. The rest I could have done without, to be honest. <laughs> but um, you uh, you look right uh, after after a year, so <laughs> yeah, once in a while that happens. But <laughs> we'll see where I am in two or three years. 
Um, yeah, th- this is, I agree with you completely. Daniels is going high and I don't think that, um, that Steelers would be able to go up and get him, nor do I think they would go up and get him. So yeah, it's yeah. kind of a combination of all those factors, I think. So looking at the realistic options, who do you think is most like, I know I kind of think right now is most likely to go next out of the, then what seems like the next group of quarterbacks. I think we could safely say the next group of quarterbacks seems like Bo Nix, JJ McCarthy, Michael Penix. And it does feel as if Penix is sixth, maybe out of that group for a lot of people. I know yes. PFF, I think y'all have him fourth. Uh, Trevor, I don't know if that's just Trevor or all, or all your consensus. All Trevor. Blame, blame Trevor. All Trevor. Okay. Then uh, we'll blame him if that looks dumb uh, here pretty soon. But um, so I, I think uh, that that could be, but it feels like McCarthy and Knicks have a little more buzz than Penix right now. How do you feel? Like if we're guessing right now, if we're saying May or Williams goes first, May or Daniels goes second, the other one goes third, Who? what's the order of four, five, and six here? I would – I'm in Vegas, so I was, I was about to say if I was in Vegas. Uh, I'm in, in Vegas. I would be <laughs> surprised if J.J. McCarthy is not the fourth quarterback. Uh, okay. So yeah. still a lot of time, but he is 21 compared to 24 and a half for Bo Nix, 24 and three quarters for, for Michael Penix. So, you know, three years younger – I do think you just didn't see a lot from him. I mean, throwing the ball like 12 times a game in like the Penn State game. He literally didn't get yeah. asked to do anything, even at the national championship. But he is a good athlete. I think almost underrated athlete. I think a better athlete than Bo Nix running the football. And Bo Nix can run. Um, he does have, a, I think he has the best arm. Well, not Penix, but he has, a, in my opinion, a rather significantly better arm than Bo Nix. I was a bit underwhelmed. I think Nix had a... His senior ball was getting like talked about as if it was terrible. Trevor and Steve Palazzolo will tell you it wasn't that bad. He had a couple nice throws, but they did both say like the zip was not as impressive as they thought it could have been in person. Yeah. And I think you do see that like for sure when you're there. Um, and McCarthy, I think, has a hose. He has a couple throws this year where it was like, you know, op- opposite hash mark, like fitting into a tight window and, and like throwing some bullets. So I think he, I think he probably goes in, in that range of like, like I said, 11 to 20 range. And then I think you get late first Bo Nix. I don't think Michael Penix is a first rounder. I, like, I like him, but not only old, he's torn both ACLs and has right. chronic shoulder issues as well. So he has an absolute rocket. No one's denying that. But I just I, I just don't really see it. So, yeah, that, that'd be my four, five, six. And then I'll tell you, uh, Jim Nagy will say, is saying, who runs the Senior Bowl, is saying to everyone who will listen, like, the league is still in on Spencer Rattler. A lot of people have kind of gotten Spencer Rattler fatigue. We were obviously mm-hmm. talking about him like three years ago at this point. And I do think you saw him settle in South Carolina a little bit, stop making some of the boneheaded decisions and just like have no idea what he was looking at in coverage and just kind of just hucking it. I think you saw growth there. Having Xavier Leggett obviously helps. Um, but I think him and then my guy, Michael Pratt at Tulane, who's just like your classic prototypical quarterback, 6'4", 215, Solid athlete, but not great, but has a live arm. And I think for me, like, sees the field really, really well. Very, very smart. The Broncos love him. The Saints love him. You had Jim, uh, Jeff Ireland, who's the Saints draft guy right now. Like, couldn't say enough nice things about him. Anyway, long answer short, I think those guys both those guys both go top 75. I think we're going to get eight quarterbacks in the top 75. I completely agree with you. I haven't seen much of Pratt, so I can't comment on him. I'm going to have to catch up on him. But I completely agree with you. The league's... And I completely agree with you on actually everything you said. Like I felt the same way. McCarthy, Knicks, Penix, I'm not even sure ends up being six. That wouldn't surprise me if Rattler ends up going ahead of him because of the injury history, the age, 
Penix is good for sure at certain things, but he does tend to be very hot and cold. His tape is a little Hender hook, Hendon hookerish to me, like where I'm yep. like, you know, like, is he going to be seen the same way as the league? Are they going to be in love with a guy like this? Like the left hand, it just seems like a little bit like there might be so many things that the league is just not quite sure. And he has this longer delivery. And and I like Penix in the range that he's going to get drafted. I'm probably really going to like it. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he's better than Bo Nix or JJ McCarthy. Let's start with McCarthy. Because this is the guy I think that a lot of people are going to talk about for Pittsburgh uh, over the next couple months. Um, you were right; he did not. He was not the guy in this offense. He was not the reason they won. Where Penix was in Washington, you know, he was the guy that stirred the drink. Caleb Williams, same thing. Drake May, same thing. You know, Jaden Daniels, absolutely. Like all these guys, no question. McCarthy's different because he's going to get that stupid winner label, um, which I'm not saying being a loser is good, but I'm saying like the fact that he won games. Is, is irrelevant to a lot of the things that are going to matter in his position of whether he's a successful NFL quarterback or not. So the big question to me, I think at this point is what's the ceiling for, for JJ McCarthy, his NFL career, I think can go one of two ways. He could be such a disaster that it's like clear after year one that he can't do anything above like the, the minimum. And I don't think teams tend to start slow with these guys. They tend to put them out there. You have all these tools. We're going to see what you can do. Or he could be one of the most different-looking quarterbacks in the NFL compared to what he was in college, because the way they asked him to play in college, they aren't asking him to do anything. Now he he didn't he didn't wasn't bad in that role or anything like that. You know, he, he probably threw the ball to the other team more than you like. Like turnover-worthy plays are probably a little high given his role and how easy it was. And but he overall he managed games pretty well. He can make high degree difficulty throws, but he hardly ever did. And it's somewhere on the spectrum of like. Like people are probably not going to make this comparison in terms of their the way they look as quarterbacks necessarily, but I think of like Justin Herbert and what they asked him to do at Oregon, and I was just like, I don't get it. Like he just doesn't seem that good at this. Like this seems this offense seems really basic. He doesn't even seem like he ever elevated this team within this offense. And you get to the NFL, and it's like, oh, like he's ripping the ball over the yard, and you're like, okay, like he can do this and this. McCarthy has an awesome arm. Like he can really rip the football. And it was hardly ever used like that in Michigan. They asked him to be a certain way and play a certain way and do a certain thing. And I think with more freedom in NFL offense, more of a vertical passing attack, I wonder if he could end up looking. Now, the, the downside is clear. I think the downside is that he can't do any of that crap. He's only like this game manager type. He's going to throw the ball too often to the other team in the NFL. Like the speed of the game is going to be too much for him in the pocket, et cetera, et cetera. I think those all those things are plausible. He's the probably the bigger boomer bust guy. I mean, I guess the other guys could have bigger booms, but from floor to ceiling, he could be the highest variance, I think. I agree. I agree. It's actually interesting. It's a too long ago, but because we mentioned Tannehill, he kind of gives me a little bit of Tannehill, like coming out of Texas AM. Sure. Where yeah. it was like, yeah, like big guy can take hits, can stand in the pocket. Like it, the thing I always saw with McCarthy was like on flood concepts and like trusting, like, just trusting his ability, I think to I think he sees things pretty well because intermediate and deep, he made a lot of nice throws when when asked to, which was not very often. But I wonder the more I watch if it was more of a selection bias because, like I mentioned, the Penn State game and I get they won and the Penn State offense legitimately could not get a yard, but they were they were in not goal to go, but probably third and ten on the fifteen yard line. And at this point, they were up a field goal, maybe a touchdown, but it was certainly one score, and they ran the ball. And I'm just like. Again, I get the Penn State offense was doing nothing, but like you don't trust your quarterback to throw the ball on third and 10 in a low red zone when you're up by a score. 
Like, and the more I watch this film, like the more you see that. And I get they went fifteen and zero. It did not matter. And, and like, and you can't like knock him for that. But I just sit there and being like, I don't know if Jim Harbaugh trusts his quarterback. If Andrew Luck was under center in Stanford, I think they'd probably throw the ball on third and ten, up three points <laughs> against a good team. Yeah. Um, so like so stuff like this kept popping up. But yeah, no, he'll also he'll attack the middle of the field. Um, there is some turnover when he plays stuff, but the most that I saw, I liked it. It was like. I appreciate that he's taking this risk and willing to put yeah. the ball in harm's way to a degree, but he has a little bit of my arm is so, you know, I I, have, I can get enough zip that I think I can make almost every throw. And I'll take that over a guy who just shies away, checks it down on third, third down and, and stuff like that. So, and that also might tie into why maybe they didn't do that sometimes, but I agree. The floor is, is really, really low. Uh, in my, in my opinion, um, the ceiling pretty high, but the floor, and then I, I mentioned before, but, I think he is a pretty darn good athlete. Like he's not just like a a guy that like can scramble and pick up some yards. Yeah. Like I think yeah. you see him do like some zone read and like and like get to the yeah. get to the edge and like like it, it, it's there on his film for sure. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, he's a good athlete, and that's the big plus with he. And now I haven't seen Knicks as much as, as you have. I, I I don't think he's an athlete that McCarthy or um, Daniels. Daniels is a really good athlete too, by the way. I yeah. don't think I gave enough. We didn't talk that much about him, but I have, I do have positive thoughts on Daniels, by the way, if people are listening. I, I do think there's some really good things about him. Um, but McCarthy is just a very interesting player. I've, I've liked him. I know this season it seemed like everybody kind of turned against him. You know, I definitely see the downside. I need to watch way more of his tape. I haven't like studied him yet. I've just, just from watching, this is all just watching him live. So I reserve the right um, to come back and change my opinion. So do not clip this or aggregate this content. Um, <laughs> but I do think that, I mean, even when you look at his deep ball last year, like when they did ask him to do some things that were higher degree difficulty, like 14 big time throws on his 46 deep ball attempts last year, like he could throw it into tight windows. He wasn't like scared to do that. It's just that this offense ran the ball so much and so effectively that he what didn't have to be that guy. And they did it all the way to national championships. So how can you argue with their process? It's not like it was like, oh, he was limited and they just never trusted in him. And like, so they didn't get as far as they could as a team because of it. No, it was because they were so good at doing what they did. And he was so good in the role they asked him to do. And it won the national championship. And it's hard to like say that that was because they didn't think he could do more. Like, I disagree with that. I don't think it's a fair characterization. It might end up being true. I don't think it's a fair characterization of what happened at Michigan. So there's a little bit of that cocky swagger thing with him too. I'm not worried about that. Like to me, like I'd rather have that than not have it. So like, unless that becomes problematic or there's some reporting on that specifics on how that's problematic. I'm not getting too caught up in that. I think there's going to be some goofy buzz about all these quarterbacks at some point uh, in the pre-draft process. We know that from years past. So McCarthy being a fit with Pittsburgh, 
Athletically, I think is what they want. His tools are better than Kenny Pickett. He comes from a play action um, system where he's run a lot of play action. So perhaps that just the experience going under center and doing a lot of those things, I think could be uh, really effective for, um, for him. And it, not that they're drafting a player and they're saying, Oh, he has to fit into a, you know, into an Arthur Smith system. I hope they're not. That would be very, very foolish. Um, but you know, he, I think would, would have some understanding of what that looks like. And I think would be a little bit better of a fit um, than maybe some of these other guys would. Whereas, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say on him before you go to somebody like a Bo Nix? And that would be a wild fit, I think. It would be a wild fit. Yeah, you're coming from just like an RPO shotgun. I feel like he was doing that. I could be wrong, but I feel like he was doing that at Auburn before Oregon too. Like he's never had an offense that looked anything like what a hypothetical Arthur Smith offense would look like. Yeah, definitely not. I I, I've gone back and forth with for, for When he first started playing college football, I was like, everybody was always buzzing about him. And I was like, this guy is horrible. Like, I don't know what people are talking about. This guy's awful. And then he left Auburn, went to Oregon, and he definitely got better. The numbers obviously were huge and got significantly better in that way. But he also just was way smarter with the football. He didn't do nearly as many dumb things. He was very, very careless early in his career at Auburn. And then he became almost the opposite in his time in Oregon. I don't know how much of that is a system without a study. I I will have to study him quite a bit more because I don't, I didn't watch a lot of Oregon this season. What I did see was a guy who looked definitely improved, but also was another one that I was like, man, I I wonder what he looks like outside of this offense and outside of like in in an NFL offense and some of the things. And I say NFL offense, meaning like any of the varieties of things that'll run in the NFL. Is there a system in the league? that's going to ask him to do like kind of exactly like what he's doing now, or is he going to have to change significantly in order to be successful in the NFL? It's an interesting thought. I, it like almost like, I mean, Luke gets, gets put in this like Matt LaFleur Shanahan profile, but he's really not. He's a Joe Moorhead, like RPO based offense. If he pivoted more to that structure, maybe to a degree, the thing that I thought I saw with Bo Nix where it went from Auburn to Oregon was, and this is like every young quarterback, and it's the one of two things of why when I because of CJ Stroud, how I look at college quarterbacks differently was at Auburn, I felt like he only knew how to throw fastballs. Like he just did not know when to put touch on the pass. Like everything was just a laser. And it was like clearly this is the trajectory here should be a little bit, you know, a little bit softer, a little bit layered, whatever. And you saw him throw like corner routes to Troy Franklin, who's a good ball tracker and and has like you know, good hands, good footwork on the sideline. Like, and also probably helped to have those receivers, but that was the biggest thing for me is he now knows how to go rockets when needed, take some speed off, you know, take some velocity off over the middle. Uh, if it's like, like you see him like crossers and mesh throwing like seven yard lasers. And I'm like, I don't know how this guy is supposed to like see this through traffic and catch an absolute dart, like put it in front of him, put some touch on it. So I think that is what I saw. That was like notable, tangible improvement beyond the obvious. The decision-making was just, it was like Josh Allen, Wyoming. It was, it was ridiculous. But um that was the, the the football thing that I could say was he just, I think, has a much better understanding of, like, what type of throw he's trying to make. Um, and I think you saw a lot of that. Like, this past year, he was, he was good at Oregon, no question about it. Very good. And the Oregon system, you know, the ball's coming out quick a lot of the time. So when you look at his pressure numbers and his, you know, when he's kept clean numbers and all this kind of stuff, it's like, well, he blitzed, you know. It's like, okay, you can't really take that much from the numbers. So you're going to need to study him more, but also – there's just going to be an element of unknown to him, like outside of a system that asks him to get the ball out of his quick hands this quickly all the time. 
what does he look like at the next level? What does he look like when he's got to go through more of a progression-based offense um, and actually move through half-field reads and things like that? I I truly don't know yet. And I, I, I think one of the things Oregon did best was simplify the game for him and slow, like make it easy for him to make decisions. And it's just about getting the ball, getting him. And once he got comfortable, he was able to be a safer, more effective player. I don't know whether he, that will be enough for as you build him back up, you know, that he will be this super effective now, you know, like even as you ask him to do more and you enhance what's on his plate, I'm not sure. But when he was asked to do a little bit more at Auburn, I didn't think it went very well. And so maybe he goes back to that or maybe he continues this upward trajectory but he and McCarthy are both pretty big wild cards. Like I, I could see a lot of outcomes in their career. I would say before I go into tape, I feel a little bit better about McCarthy right now, but I know plenty of people I trust, including, I believe Trevor. Yeah. Trevor's not a big McCarthy guy. He likes Nick's a uh, good bit. He's always been a Nick's guy for a little while now. So I could feel much different after I look at the tape. So I'm, I'm uh, very open to whatever, wherever the tape leads me with those guys. But those are my early initial thoughts on them just from live viewings. Yeah, I'll just say the stats. He had the lowest turnover-worthy player in college football this year. He had a 1% yeah. turnover-worthy. If you said that about the Auburn Bo Knicks, I would laugh in your face. And then 85% adjusted completion percentage, which you know counts for drops, also led the FBS. So, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Vegas. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot to like. It, it's just like you said, it is interesting. When he knew what he was doing pre-snap, he can make a lot of throws. Just when he has to sift through information, sit back a little bit longer, go through a full progression, I think it's fair to wonder how that looks. And a lot of his, you know, higher percent of his throws, I believe, were behind the line of scrimmage or short, um, zero to nine yeah. yards beyond the line of scrimmage compared to he even led, the other top guys, I think. So, yeah, sorry. He led the. He also led the FBS in, in yards off screens, number number one in the country. Yeah, so, which is very sober I mean, to ask. Yeah, true, true, yeah. Speaking of guys that's totally different than this, Michael Penix, who 41%, 41.3%, of his pass attempts this past season were 10 or more yards beyond the line of scrimmage. This guy was ripping the thing. 37 big time throws down the field this season on 20 plus air yard throws. So he can rip the rock. There's no doubt about that. Today's NFL, uh, it does require a level of nuance in the short to intermediate areas of the field that we're just not quite sure, like whether that's there or not with him yet. I would say like this past season, it really did depend on the game. His tape was overwhelmingly pretty good this past season, but the t- the problem is like, is that going to translate to the NFL when you're not just ripping a deep to somebody every single play? You see in the NFL right now, the amount of twenty plus air yard completions and attempts is going down every year for the last couple of years. Now, teams are not able to just consistently rip that thing all over the field, game to game. So you need guys who can win small ball, can get the ball out against pressure, um, aren't standing in the pocket taking hits, aren't statues. Those are kind of things that are all questions with Penix plus the injury history, which is why I just don't think his profile is going to be as attractive to NFL teams because I think he might only be able to play one way, and that one way is pretty fun and exciting in college ball. Um, and when you can hit a couple of plays in the NFL, it's going to be fun. But game to game, down to down, drive to drive, play to play, the type of consistency needed to play the quarterback position in the NFL requires a lot of smaller victories, and I'm not sure he brings that to the table. Yeah, when you mentioned the Hendon Hooker thing, it's funny because I – I don't know if I see the comparison between the two players, but what I see it is Josh Heupel's Tennessee offense with Hannon Hooker is just not an NFL offense in any way, shape, or form. Like, not a right. single thing they did. And, and I feel that way about Ryan Grubb, who, who I think is awesome. Um, Washington's offense was kind of similar. Like, it's just not your empty, empty backfield, five wide, and just, like I said, just chucking it all over the yard. So, 
there's that element. I don't love him under pressure. I think you did see him in the national championship game. He sidestepped some pressure and made a couple nice throws. The last issue for me, and I always hate to do this, but like I only do it in very outlier cases, but um, and Corey Cannon put me onto this. He's on Twitter, real Corey Cannon, who does this actually awesome work looking at the college quarterbacks. He literally charts like every single throw they make. Um, there is a, a ball placement. So he's, I'm not going to say he's inaccurate, but Romo Dunze might be the best ball tracker. And I have him as the third receiver. Marvin Harrison and, and, and neighbors to me are, are a little bit ahead of Romo Dunze, but his ball tracking ability, his late hands, his contested catch ability might be the best in the entire class. And then I think Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk are also top 100 draft picks. So I think he was throwing to a top 10 pick and two other top 100 draft picks. All of these guys are above six feet tall. Um, McMillan's more of like your big slot, but still has good hands, can, can make catches in traffic. But yeah, like I, I saw Corey say it, and, and I've looked at like some of the deep passing. Again, he's putting the ball in the correct area. It's just, again, when it's college open versus NFL open – yeah. I think there were adjustments made by his receivers to make him look more accurate on some of that deep passing. Um, and you just wonder if that translates. So yeah, good player, good arm. I, I just, I, I do. I have concerns about how his game translates more than the first two guys we talked about. He was so unbelievable against Texas. I mean, he, he's, I mean, it was yeah. probably the best game of his career. I think even grades wise, right? Six big time throws, no turnover worthy plays. Yeah. So many shots down the field, just ripping that thing. Like it was an unbelievable performance. And it was the kind of game that made me be like, wow, I don't know, maybe, man. And then Michigan was the opposite, basically. Like as probably yep. as bad as he's been in his career, three turnover worthy plays. He couldn't hit the shots down the field. He couldn't make things work small ball. He was holding the ball too long. The accuracy was bad. And it was kind of a reminder of like the fact that there's some some big swings there when he plays. And so yeah, it's uh he he's really improved a lot. And that's the story, honestly, with he and Knicks, I feel like is early in their careers. I mean, Penix was obviously sought after as a transfer, but I don't think anybody thought that he would be this type of a quarterback where we'd be talking about him uh being a top quarterback in the class. And I do think he will end up falling a little bit down the board, but I still think he'll he'll be uh, gone in the first three rounds as well. Um you want to say something about Pratt? Like let me let me cook. Let me go off. I'm like, I'm okay, like wait, Pratt, before so. you say something about Pratt, let me just say one more thing about next or Penix. I don't think he's a – I actually would be shocked if he's on the Steelers' radar. Like, I don't think he's going to be what they look for at all. Uh, Arthur Smith or no Arthur Smith. McCarthy, I think, will be Knicks uh, somewhere between those. But I, to me, McCarthy is the – I would be – if they are, don't think about McCarthy at 20, then they won't think about a quarterback in the top – in the first round, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fair. Uh, I so sell me on Pratt here, right? And I don't think they'll go Spencer Rattler either, but – Maybe we could save him for another day, but sell me on Pratt yeah. here for before you wrap up. So I'll, I'll start off with the negative. The, the one thing I would say with Pratt is under pressure, it, there were some concerns, but his two-lane offensive line was not a particularly stout unit. Probably goes without saying. Um, and his best receiver this past year, I'm going to get his name wrong. I think it's Jaquan Jackson, who went to senior ball, had a good week. He's probably mm -hmm. five foot six. He's a pure slot, but he is a shifty good player. Um, his throw to, to me, intermediate and deep, is what I was talking about earlier. He, I think he has such a high-level understanding for where he's at in his career of the trajectory of the football, touch, more of, more of a rifle. Like, it's just like he can make like, – like, it's just it, it's just to me I thought it was the most nuanced and advanced, maybe in the entire class, of just knowing what type of ball he was looking to throw. Um, he had a 6.5% big-time throw rate, 25th in the country for us, top 33 in, in deep yards. And, again, his receivers, he didn't have big-body contested catch guys. Um 
got the ball out quickly, and I think he does work well in the quick game. Um, it can, you know, just get like in this type of offense, get the ball out quickly to your first read and just trust the offense to make a play. So, yeah, and then all like the intangibles, just the classic, you know, he's a good build profile, 6'3, 220. Um, also, his pocket manipulation. So, I wouldn't say he's a good athlete per se, but I also think he has good footwork and doesn't bail from pockets, like steps up and trusts his protection probably when he shouldn't sometimes. Um, I, I just, he just looked like an, like kind of like an NFL style quarterback. And I, I don't think their offense is particularly NFL style, but just a lot of the little technicalities and details that we kind of ignore in college and then they pop, rear their ugly head in the NFL. To me, he's ahead of the game in a lot of those categories. Um, good arm, really good arm. And then, yeah, apparently whip smart. I, I've heard things about him going back to last year. Um, you know, people don't know I went to Tulane Law School. So, like, yeah, they just you're going to hear a lot of things about a lot of, a lot of steady drum beat. I just think he's just polished coming out. Hmm, interesting. Now I'm I'm looking up his profile right now. I'm just kind of checking my. I'm gonna have to. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get into this guy's table. He was at the Senior Bowl, right? Yes, I believe so. I, I um, wonder how he looked he? there. I guess uh, you was were he? you and I weren't there, but wonder how he looked at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, interesting. All right, Michael Pratt, another name to have kind of in the quiver. I'll definitely be looking him up. Rattler was at the Senior Bowl as well. We could probably talk more about him. As we, down the road another time, but he's another name to kind of keep it. I don't necessarily feel strong enough about him, about the Steelers to like jump into that conversation right now. Um, and probably going to be a lot about his character coming out over the next, just like what kind of a dude is this guy? <laughs> so we'll see. Um, there are other names as you get further down the list, but they're more project types. Joe Milton can throw it 85 yards, you know, like, yeah, hell cool. yeah. Sam Hartman's the best looking guy in any draft class ever, you know, those kind of positions with those guys. So, We'll see if the Steelers end up interested, but there's a bunch of quarterback names and some early thoughts on the quarterback prospects. Right now, the name, in my opinion, and Brad's opinion, I've circled for the Steelers is J.J. McCarthy if they go the quarterback route. I don't expect them to right now. I'd be a little bit surprised, but I do think they will be pretty intrigued by the profile of J.J. McCarthy just knowing what this team looks for. Whether that's a good thing or not, we'll have to give you our opinions on that down the road. We'll be back on Thursday to give you more thoughts on other positions on this Steelers team and how they should assess them going into the offseason. Until then, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Yin's No Ball Podcast.